my job is quite difficult. A few brief moments to say what a job a rabbi is supposed to do, and as is emphasized, what isn't the rabbi's job. I try to follow orders, and we'll discuss first what isn't the rabbi's job. <coughs> Again, these are views which I hold dear, but there are many rabbis who disagree with me. I'll start with an incident which took place in my first month in the rabbinate. It goes back more than 42 years ago. I just moved into Riverdale and my wife and I were going downtown and we were given a ride by a great communal leader. His name is Mr. Charles Bentheim, the Chronicle of Rocha. And I was a young rabbi, literally had just started that month. I said, Rabbi, I want to give you a piece of advice. I've been around, I've heard many rabbis, and some of them, the desire to be one step ahead of the members of the community, they make sure to have the New York Times delivered to them early on Saturday morning, and they read the uh, editorial pages, and they, to use a Yiddish word, they darshan the page. The page is right, the page is wrong, we, we subscribe to this position, we don't. Most have to do with either United States politics, to be charitable, sometimes Israeli politics. Rabbi tells me, we don't need rabbis to teach us about politics. This we can do ourselves. We need you, and rabbis like you, to quote a medrash, a rashi, a thought. That's what we need you for. Don't involve yourself in the politics of the day. This we lay people can do ourselves. Truth is, I was always inclined in that direction even before. But ever since then I've tried my best to steer clear of these kinds of political statements. If it's, if it's openly political, such as endorsing candidates, you even risk losing your tax-exempt status, which is really bad for the rabbi if that happens. Uh, he's, 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 he's done. But even if he's falling short of that, uh, I, I agree with the advice which was given to me. There are others who can do that. Number one. I was privileged to learn with Rav Salavechik the Chavon Levracha for a number of years and I'd like to share with you since my Rebbe's covet is much greater than mine some of the words that he penned in a fascinating fascinating letter which was written undoubtedly in the 50's I can't tell you what year it was Apparently he was not unable to attend the particular rabbinical convention. It's on page 109, for those who have the handouts. After the initial platitudes, giving him blessing and thanking them, etc. 
talks about the RCA, Rabbinical Council of America, is now at a crossroads. Should we finally follow the traditional rabbinate? Going back to Yeshua, Moshe, Rabbeinu. Be ready to fight for an undiluted halacha, which is often not in the vogue. Sounds familiar? When they say the more things change, the more they stay the same. Not in vogue. Or to deteriorate into a so-called modern rabbinic group of undefined quality and of a confused ideology, vague in its attitudes and undecided as to its policies. Now the Rav is giving a charge here to an august rabbinical body and he's speaking about the Mechitza issue. As you well know, this is not going to be the topic for this evening's discussion. I believe that since this was written, it's now clear to everybody that the Mechitza is sine qua non, as the Rav wrote over here, you can't even walk into a shul with mixed seating. He calls it the Christianization of the synagogue. Even if it means you can't go to shul and Rosh Hashanah here at the shofar. She writes here again. And in his critique of any rabbi, this is page 110 on the bottom, no rabbi however great in scholarship and moral integrity, has the authority to endorse, legalize, or even apologetically explain this basic deviation. No rabbi. You may say, how can Rav Soloveitchik say that? Don't we believe in a decentralized rabbinate? We no longer have a Sanhedrin. We no longer have one central authority. Every rabbi can do what he wants. That's in vogue. And if it was in vogue in the 50s, how much more so in 2016? The age of what we call postmodernism and non-judgmentalism, when there are almost no absolute truths in the outside world. And my Rebbe takes away from the prerogative of any synagogue rabbi, and look what he says. doesn't matter if you're a scholar, you may have moral integrity. Can't do it. Can't do it. And he spells it out. No pretext, excuse, ad hoc formula, missionary complex, or unfounded fear of losing our foothold in the Jewish community can justify the acceptance of this deviation. It's very important to understand where the rub is coming from. There were many rabbis who were certainly well-meaning in the 50s, and they saw what's happening. The trend was to build new buildings without mechitzas. And the rabbi felt if he tries to buck this trend, he's going to lose, and people will not come to the synagogue at all. Therefore, it's appropriate to compromise on this issue. My rabbi is saying no. No. You may not compromise on this issue. You have a fear of losing our foothold. The Rav calls it unfounded fear. I'll go further. Even if it's a founded fear, it doesn't matter. We're not permitted to compromise on fundamental issues of halacha. Note the Rav's expression, missionary complex. There are many rabbis who are here to save the world. We're going to preach to everybody. 
Perhaps we should retitle it Messianic Complex. They feel they can save the whole world. They just make one little concession about the Mechitza. The Rav is saying you have absolutely no right to do so. None. Let's go further on the next page. The Rav is a smart man. I know beforehand that the reaction to my letter on the part of our apostles of religious modernism and utilitarianism. We have to be modern. We have to be practical. So we'll certainly say that since the great majority of the recently constructed synagogues have abandoned separate seating, we must not be out of step with the masses. You have to follow the masses even if it means compromising what the shoe looks like. He said you can do the same thing with Shabbos, dietary laws. That's as far as the Rub could have imagined way back in the 50s. Today we extend it. Today there are people who wish to keep Shabbos and keep dietary laws, but following the spirit of the times of 2016, which couldn't have even been imagined in the 50s, when the Rav wrote these words 60 years ago, there are those who want to maintain Shabbos and maintain Kashras, but at the same time, they wish to be known as what's called today gay, with all the other Russia tamas that go with it. I'm not going to give you the... That's the, uh, that's the middle one. Yeah, whatever it may be. So, 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 and they want to be orthodox. It doesn't work. Again, we may have had empathy for Jews in the 50s who didn't observe Sabbath or the dietary laws. And there were many. We may have empathy for those who don't observe these basic laws that the um, gays are violating. That may be true. But to try to say that you believe in halacha and in orthodoxy, except you want to make this change. I don't want to be able to, to have to keep Shabbos. I want to drive on Shabbos. That was a fundamental mistake of the conservative movement. For practical considerations, they said, all right, you can't drive to the mall, you can only drive to the shul on Shabbos. Which, of course, everyone knows didn't hold for a minute. And even if it would hold, it destroyed the community. As many conservative rabbis have written, in retrospect, in hindsight, but at the time, they thought they were so smart, just one little change to drive to Shulan Shabbos will save the entire enterprise of the Jewish religion. Have Rabbi said that the fact that the people outside don't keep a mitzvah doesn't change it one bit talks about Los Sirtzach and the Holocaust. But then he says something which I think is, is critical. The greater the difficulty, the more biting the ridicule and sarcasm, and the more numerous the opponent, then the holier is the principle, and the more sacred is our duty to defend it. He goes as far as to suggest there could be cases of Yehoreg v'Yavar. Not only when there's political and religious persecution originated by some pagan ruler, but also in situations, the last few lines on this page, 111, which a small number of God-fearing and Torah-loyal people is confronted with a hostile attitude on the part of a majority dominated by a false philosophy. Wow. These are powerful words written some 60 years ago, which resonate 
If you ask me even more strongly today, it's not the rabbi's job to save the world by making bad policies, compromises, misrepresentations. Can't do it. They did it then, and they're doing it now. I have to share with you something quite remarkable. Some years back, a particular rabbinical judge, a Dayan, who was close to me, from a Haredi background, was trying to define how he understood what does it mean to be a modern Orthodox Jew. And he said, and he didn't mean this disparagingly, just descriptively. And I thought there was some truth to what he was saying. He practices like a Jew. We're not discussing those who deviate. He keeps every halacha. But in his words, he thinks like a goy. I was taken by the description. It folded away somewhere in a, in a back burner. I thought it was quite interesting. And just this past week, I was looking at the Rambam in Perikut Aleph, Halacha Aleph, in Hilchas Avodah And I encourage you to look it up. The Rambam is describing the prohibition of the Chukoseim Lo Telechu, not to follow on their statutes. And he gives examples, not to dress in certain ways, not to take certain kinds of haircuts, which we know are uniquely, particularly associated with a non-Jewish group. And then he writes, we have to be different from the non-Jewish world in these particular examples of just as we have to be different from them a Jew must differ from a non-Jew in the way he thinks that is a given that is a given means the particulars of how you dress, what kind of haircut you have, and all these other details. You have to be different than them, not only in the way you think, which is a given, but also in the way you dress. I said to myself, wow, this is exactly what this rabbi was saying. That we have to think Jewishly. It's not enough to conduct ourselves Jewishly. We have to think as B'nai Torah and B'nos Torah. We have to think like halachic Jews. It's not enough, as I said, to maintain the halacha. You have to think that way as well. And I dare say that most of the particular deviations from normative halachic practice that we see today, particularly in areas of egalitarianism and feminism, is an outgrowth of people thinking differently. The attitude is incorrect. They're swallowing whole the attitudes of the modern or even the postmodern world. And this leads them, as a result, to all kinds of deviations. If they would think the way the Raman requires them to think, think like Torah individuals whose value system, whose outlook on life reflects the Torah way, Torah's way of thinking, then yes, there can be certain adjustments. Absolutely. 
There always are adjustments within Orthodox Jewish practice. But the ones who are authorized to make these adjustments are those who think only Torah thoughts. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was once criticized for some leniency which he had. And he was attacked by being someone who's following the non-Jewish way of doing things. And he responded uncharacteristically with a very spirited self-defense. Thank God, he says, none of these things have impacted upon me. I, my only source of knowledge is the Torah itself. And I believe according to the Torah itself, this is permissible. And don't accuse me of taking this idea from non-Jewish sources. Didn't mean non-Jewish halachic sources. But a non-Jewish way of thinking. And he says, I'm not guilty of this whatsoever. In this room, I don't know if any of us can make that statement. That we're not guilty of some aspect of non-Jewish thinking. Which the Rambam says is a given we should stay away from. And was simply a, an, uh, an extension of the basic requirement to think as a Torah Jew should think. And that's why it's so difficult for us in 2016 to maintain our posture in the issues of the day when there are those who are saying straight out they want to maintain an orthodox affiliation but they say and they've written now we have social media which didn't exist in those days and they write that come on we know that uh, homosexual relations are not permissible in the orthodox community or in the modern orthodox community as it's been said chas v'sholom it's impossible to make such a statement but the problem is that the younger generation that's how they were brought up that's how they were brought up. That's how they think. And therefore, they reach a, an erroneous conclusion, but it's originally based on their attitudinal shortcomings. They're thinking like the outside world. The outside world has had a, a veritable revolution in the last generation. Because a generation, that means 25 years ago, all these things were considered to be completely prohibited. All the, none of the states recognized these kinds of relationships. And in the span of one generation... Things turn completely upside down. How does it affect you and me? There's an expression out there, "Bias Kristelsach Yudelsach, which means the way it goes out in the Christian world, that's the way the Jewish world, unfortunately, follows. And it's the job of the rabbi, this is the job of the rabbi. His job is not to kowtow to the spirit of the day, which my Rebbe called in a different written essay, neurosis, that was his word, or the charm, the fleeting charm of the modern society of every generation. The rabbi's job is not to concede one iota to that way of thinking. Rather, the rabbi's job is to preserve the traditions of old, even as particular adjustments have to be made. Some years ago, I was... Uh, asked by a fine member of our community, why, why, are you, why don't you just get with, the, uh, get with the generation? Why don't you change these things? I said in Germany, in the 19th century, if you read the way the rabbis signed their letters, they would sign, Shomer Mishmeres HaKodesh, the preserver of the holy preserve in a particular city. 
And many of these rabbis made significant changes. The German rabbis spoke in the vernacular, not in Yiddish. The German rabbis wore certain kinds of robes which others associate with different religions, which I would never wear. Yet, they signed their names, Shomer Mishmeres HaKodesh. We'll make certain concessions which we consider to be irrelevant, even though others would consider them to be terrible. But fundamentally, we are thinking Torah thoughts. We are trying to be preserve the Torah way, certain concessions, but these concessions are working within the Torah system. Or as my rabbi would call it, within Torah postulates. He often said that Chiddush, something new, is an integral part of our system, both in terms of learning and even in terms of practice. But not Shinoi, not change. The line between them is sometimes not so discernible. For this you need someone who is scholarly, who has Yerah Shemayim, and who understands what his role is, and what his role is not. So if you've seen the publicity associated with this presentation, it tells you what a rabbi's job apparently is. They don't say what it's not. So, answering questions, counseling, teaching, guiding, learning, speaking, and yes, life cycle events, perhaps most important, role model and leader. A Rav, somehow or other, has to be able to be a role model to his congregants and a leader of his community. You can't teach this. You can go to all the Shurim and Yorodeya and know it backwards and forwards, but if you don't have what what it takes in terms of being a role model and a leader, you're not going to succeed. It's a gift from Hashem that those who occupy a position of a Rav, are required to, to utilize to the best of their ability. Doesn't mean you have to win a popularity contest. You may have to win a, a majority vote to, to, get, to get the position in the first place. That's true. In this country it's against the law, I believe, to hire a rabbi in a, in a public uh, tax-deductible uh, corporation, religious corporation, without having a vote. But once you're in, you're in. Technically speaking, but from the halachic perspective, you're in for life, barring some terrible violation. In American law, I believe, there are certain rules and regulations, you have to have elections, etc., etc., etc. But I'd like to first quote my Rebbe's Torah Shabbat Peh. And time does not allow me to dwell upon it in any length whatsoever. But again, must have been somewhere in the, in the 50s my Rebbe was asked to speak at the Chag HaSmicha and he spoke as was then the style in Yiddish my Rebbe's Yiddish was absolutely poetic and whoever knows Yiddish I urge you to get your hands on this on this, uh, on this tape which you can still get and he focused on the Aftorah for Pasha's Emor which you're going to read you know, we were just talking about Yikra this week so Emor is uh, through Sefer Vayikra. It comes from Yechezkel, the 44th chapter. 
There's Ami Yoru Ben Kodesh Lechol. Number one, Arav has to pasken Shilas. To rule between Kodesh and Chol. Uvein Tomei Litor Yodiyum. He has to know what the answer to questions. Not easy to answer questions. I remember, since we're speaking personally, when I first came for my first interview, it goes back to 1973, come to my shul for an interview, and they say, Rabbi, can you pask in a shayla? As you can well imagine, I was uh, quite young, and having learned with the Rav, who as great a goyen as he was, he focused more on what we call the lumdus, not so much on the practical answering of questions. So my response was as follows. I said, I don't know if I can pass in a shayla, but I do know that I know how to look up a shayla. So there's no need in our generation to be able to pass in everything like this. You have to know how to look up a shayla. That, my training was excellent. Textual skills, analytical skills were given to me by my rabbis who came before me. If there are issues in the community, arguments, the rabbi is required to resolve them. When I first began in my community, I said the hardest part of the, of the rabbinate is to keep peace in the community. Because you know how it is. People are always arguing with each other. The rabbi has to keep the peace. I still remember, going back to the early days, I came in 1974, Pasha's bow. Bo, come. It was great. B'Shalach was great. Yisra was great. Three weeks after Chazaka, there's a piece of cake. Well, the fourth Shabbos was Pasha's Mishpatim, and as is usually the case, it was Pasha's Shkolim. Okay, so what? Okay, so I'm standing in front of the shul, they wait for me, the big chief rabbi, I've had three weeks already, and I take the three steps back, all the guys are banging on the table. Yitzris! And I give a bang. No Yitzris! But all eyes are on me. So, I wasn't, you know, that clued into this, I, never, I didn't anticipate it, I asked one very basic question. What did they do last year? Legitimate question, right? Guess what? We said Yotzvah. We didn't say Yotzvah. <laughs> I knew I was sunk. I was just a rookie. just came in. I said, I'm not going to get involved in this for, the, for this season. Forget about it. And whatever, Isha Yosha Ben which is against my firm belief in the rabbinate, but you have to know when you just, you know, what you can't do. But I wasn't silly. The next year, before I came to Parsha Shkolem, I placed a phone call to the previous rabbi. Well, the rabbi was not a resident rabbi, he was in a, came in just for Shabbos and said, what'd they do? He said, they said Yotzras in the shul. So that was it. End of story. We still say Yotzras because that was the minute as the previous rabbi told me. And that's what we do. So you have to understand, mediating arguments, even on religious matters, can be difficult, and how much more so in financial matters and social matters, it's very difficult. I've been in the middle of many, many, many squabbles. But, I believe what the rabbi's job is not, and that's how I've always led my rabbinate, 
is not to micromanage the shul. To take from expression from the Goyim. Render unto God what's to God, and to Caesar what's to Caesar. I don't get involved in Caesar. Don't get involved in the finances. I don't, get, I don't go to any board meetings. Nothing. Zero. But when I was asked, what's the job of the rabbi? In my initial interview, long before Torah Web, this is what I said. The rabbi's job is to paskin the shilas for the shul. And it's part of the rabbi's job to determine what is a halachic shilas. Because my colleagues told me, they'll say, sure it's your job to paskin the halachic question. It's not a halachic question. I seized that prerogative on the initial interview. Sure enough, my first test was, I come into the shul, shul strapped for cash, they want to have bingo. They'll sponsor bingo down the hill, not even in our shul, they make money. I said, absolutely not. I said, Rabbi, it's not a halachic question. I said, yes it is. On the first interview I said, I decide what it is, but it's not a halachic question. It's a chil Hashem for Rabbi, for shuls to be making money out of bingo. That was it. They understood where we're coming from. And we've had many situations where there's a dispute. But I seized the prerogative to make a decision. It reminds me, although it's not our topic for today, of the famous story of Yisrael Salanter. Have Yisrael Salanter, on his honeymoon, told his wife, we're going to have no disputes in our marriage. None. Not one. We're going to follow the Gemara Masech to Yavamis. The Gemara Yavamis says, that the dispute between a husband and a wife in mili dishmaya in heavenly matters the husband's opinion should be followed and in mili alma in worldly matters the wife her opinion controls so we'll never have any fights so he had, they asked the new rabbi how to work out he said we've been fighting straight for 40 years I say it's mili dishmaya she says it's mili alma but in my case, my wife went there, well, I never fight, and we and my wife never fight. But in the shul, we've had these fights, I say, I initially seized this paragraph in the first interview, and I decide if it's either the Shema or the Am, if it's Allah Gishu or not. And if it's not, I don't involve myself. I received a compliment from somebody, Rabbi, thank you for not getting involved in politics. For other people. Let's go on, and my Rebbe's beautiful shir, which again you can get on in Yiddish. There are special events in the Jewish calendar called holidays. And rabbis must see to it that the community is elevated on the holiday. There's a spirit of Torah, or a spirit of Kedusha in the holiday. Roshani and Kippur, chief among them. My Rebbe hated ceremonialism. Couldn't stand it. There's so much written about it. It's terrible. I remember my Rebbe saying, at the end of the day, the rabbi should throw his talus over his head and daven and shuckle and let the people look. But it's not, uh, it's not, it's not, you know. You, you. And the rabbi has to learn. Torosai. A rabbi who stops learning, it's, it's finished. My father, Zal, would tell us, that there were two stories indicating a change in continent. The story goes that the, the Taz was almost fired from his job. The great Taz who lived in the 17th century. Why? The Balabatim passed by his house at 2 in the morning and there were no lights on. The candles weren't lit. 
What kind of rabbi is this? And fast forward to America. The rabbis passed by the home of Rabbi Leza Silver, one of the great early rabbis of the uh, 20th century, and they found the lights on. They wanted to fire him. Rabbi, we thought you knew it already. Now, maybe apocryphal, but it, the lesson is true. A rab must continue to study Torah all of his life. A, to be able to amass more knowledge, preserve the knowledge and forget what he's learning, and B, as a role model to the community. Ha, practice what I preach. I have to do that. If I don't practice what I preach, then my preaching is completely hip- hypocritical. And finally, the Rav spoke about they have to sanctify each and every Shabbos. It's the Rav's responsibility to give shiurim, inspiring drushas. This is the Rav's job. The Rav must do that. In my concluding moments, see my esteemed colleague has just uh, entered. You know, there's no coincidences in life. Just yesterday, I saw a sefer which I never saw before in my life. How it got to my shul, I don't know. I was waiting before the Ashkama Minion in the side room just to prepare, before I gave my drusha. And the sefer is called Bios Azman by Rabbi Ruven Grozovsky. Rabbi Ruven was a great Rav in, first in Europe and then in America who was the older colleague of the two great rabbanim of the yeshiva world that I knew in my youth, Rabbi Aaron Kutler and Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, he was an older colleague. And he was a son-in-law of Rabbi Baruch Ber, who was Rabbi Chaim's, one of his greater Talmidim. And as HaKadosh Baruch Hu should run the world, this Rabbi Ruben Grozovsky and my Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Dov Soloveitchik, became mechutonim posthumously. When at a wedding which I was privileged to attend, Rabbi Yitzchak Lichtenstein married a Grzovsky. So you can, in Shemayim, we can just imagine Rabbi Chaim and Rabbi Baruch Ber dancing together, and now their families have been, been joined. Ah, it was very meaningful to me. So he, as an, as an essay, opened it up. Tafkid Rabbonim. How do you like that? How do you like that? It was given Sivan Tov Shin Ches, 1948. And he starts by quoting the Haftorah for this week's parsha. Do you believe it? First paragraph. Im koton ata be'necha rosh shifte Yisrael ata. You may feel, Rabbi, that you're too small. Rosh shifte Yisrael ata. In your community, you are the leader. You set the tone. You make the halachic decisions. You make the Torah decisions. The halacha as you define it. Don't be too humble. The critique of Shaul HaMelech. And what was Shaul HaMelech's problem? Exactly as they quoted from my Rebbe before. He gave in to the will of the people. It wasn't fashionable to destroy Amalek. And they had a hundred different reasons not to do it. Only one problem. Hashem said, do it. Again, the zeitgeist, Shoal in a moment of weakness, gave in. And for this, he lost his kingdom. Every Rav, it's a little bit hard for Rabban to say this, 
is me'ein avodoso shal Moshe Rabbeinu. Every Rav who deserves a title, the Talmud Chacham Yerush and leads the community, has some little bit of Moshe Rabbeinu. As a go-between between Hashem and the people of Israel. The Manik Yisrael is a shluchu de Rachmanu. You must always remember this. You accepted the position to be Hashem's agent in your community. Lilcho milchamto milchemes Hashem basatan. To fight against satanic influences. And if you are afraid, there's cowardice. Ish hayore v'racha levav. Yelech v'yoshev lebeso. You don't belong in the rabbinate. My father, Zechron and Levracha, served in the rabbinate for a total of four days. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. He says only three days. Four days. Because it was Shabbos Shuvah. Thursday, Friday, and Shabbos. And on Shabbos, my father asked, where's the president? He sat up in front of me, two days, where'd he go? Oh, said so the Gabbai, or the Shabbos, he opens up a store uh, on Shabbos. Rosh Hashanah is closed, but Shabbos is open. My father said to himself, this is not a job for me. Not a, good, a job for a good Jewish boy, as they would say. And frankly, when I became a, uh, a Rebbe in our yeshiva, he did not encourage me to accept the rabbinical position. Because he was thinking, in 1973, that things hadn't changed much since 1940. But it's incorrect. Things had changed. And dramatically so. Now, Balabatim, are more learned, more observant, and, at least in in proper communities, more willing to be led by a proper Torah authority. I was just at a Sheva Brochus on Friday night, sitting around a table in someone's house, and a story came, was discussed about a particular situation where an issue of where someone's going to locate and they had every intention of, of relocating to a particular place. And I said three words. Don't do it. There was a young man who was finishing our yeshiva and graduating. And he wanted to move to the west side of Manhattan. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it. I said, don't do it. You should stay and live in Washington near the yeshiva. We'll get him a good chavrusa. And I didn't even appreciate the full significance of the shadow when it was asked to me. But there was discussion around the table how it was a, a miracle that because of they, they heeded my advice and I got him a proper chavrusa, the, the young man who just got married a, w- a week ago today became a different kind of young man because he was hung, holding on to the Beis Medvish even after he graduated college and was in the business world. And someone around the table said the biggest miracle is that they listened. Because in today's world the rabbi says, don't do it. And Balabatim say, I know better. I know better. I spoke about the, the Cheta Egel. Balabatim said, the ultimate Cheta Egel was Kizem Moshe Oish Lo Yodana Mehoyolo. We don't know. What do you do when you don't know? Moshe told him what to do. Have a problem? Go to Aaron and Chur. They'll tell you. But these Jews who didn't know they slaughtered Chur and Aaron was properly or improperly forced to make a decision to help with the Ego. 
That was the ultimate sin. Even the details of Arazara are not. So individuals have to know if the Rav is the Shlucha de Rachmana, as described so eloquently here in the Tafkid Arabanim sermon of Rav Grzovsky, mirroring and echoing what my Rebbe said some years later in the 50s. If you can't do it, go home. I have to make a, make a living. Rav, he was, Rav Ruben was, find a malacha acheres the parnasasa. Make a living some other way. If you don't have the ability to withstand criticism, you don't belong in it. If you only attempt to please everybody, as Imam puts it in Exubis, there's a Rav who everyone loves him, he never gives Musr. That's not a proper discharging of a rabbinical obligation. He says, you rabbis are appointed as Shomrim Alam Hashem. And he quotes at length the Pesukim of Yaakov Avinu. By day and by night, you have to watch. He quotes Yecheskel Anavi. Hoiroi Yisrael. Rabbis are the shepherds of Israel. If you don't do it, chas v'chalila, don't do a good job. Chas v'chalila. The person who's wicked will perish. V'domo miyodcha avakesh. You can't say, Adena lo shafchos adam azeh. When someone leaves the religion because you didn't do what you could to keep him, you're held accountable. Manig Yisrael asher yeitzel lefneim. The first one for davash b'kedusha. You learn, you daven. Some rabbis I know, I'm sorry to say it, they talk through Chazor HaSashat. How can they get up and speak? They shouldn't talk. Rabbi, you're a hypocrite. I've always followed my Rebbe's example. My Rebbe, when he stood Chazor HaSashat, stood like, a, like this. Didn't turn his round. He sat with his feet together. He may have had his halachic reasons to do it. I'm very far from a brisker and all these things. The one thing I know, if I'm standing like this, the Bab is not, not going to try to talk to me. So if I have the right to say, you can't talk about the Shatz, I mean, they an emergency, but otherwise not. Silence. This is very important. Very important. Don't concede. And don't even be apologetic. So my Rebbe wrote elsewhere. You are representing Hashem's Torah you don't have the ability to give away the store. It's not yours to give away. Someone went to Rav Yashav once about a certain matter and he responded, He is the God of Lador, but he has to paskin within the parameters of the halacha. Not a balabas to do what he wants. person should constantly be learning Torah. If you don't learn Torah, and you get involved in matters outside, you can fall in. It talks about the Chazal said that Rebbe would always learn Pashas Vayishlach, and once he forgot, and he had a big problem in his interactions with the non-Jewish community. Finally, the first transition of leadership no how to deal with people. But Khalila, he writes, 
To butter up people because they have a few dollars. No. No way. You should give Musr only out of Ava. Oivis is a prerequisite for Kiruv. I know rabbis who didn't really succeed because they didn't have that love of the people. They wouldn't say it publicly, but in their private conversation they would complain bitterly how the Balabata were treating them. And uh, they weren't successful. They may have looked to be successful. They gave great speeches. You have to love your Balabatim. You'll say, but he's an Amoritz. Never learned in Yeshiva. Oy Vesabrios. You look carefully in the Mepharshim and the Mishnayis. In Pirkei Perak Aleph. Brios means creatures. Includes those who are not learned. It even includes non-Jews. Mekarvel, not Torah. Not that they should observe the Torah, but they should respect the Torah. There has to be a love of people. If you teach the truth, at the end of the day, they see you're not a hypocrite, it's tocho kabaro, they will be able to absorb your spiritual lessons. We've discussed in the time allotted some of what the rabbi's job is and what the rabbi's job isn't. It's my tefillah that the rabbis that are in the field will be individuals will be loyal to the lessons taught by Rav Salavechik, Zechron Levracha and all the other great Rabbanim to to bring people close to Torah Hashem and to establish communities with Shem Ulitzaferis. Thank you very much.